you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, in a, like, neo-noir-like setting, what, like, what's, what, like, noir archetype would you, would you, like, best, or would you want to do? Would you want to be in? Mm, mm. Does a pre-cyberpunk Gibsonian noir count? I mean, yeah, but like, but what like what like character stereotype would you want to oh, be? Oh, character stereotype. I thought you meant like which like application of yeah, noir. And I was like, oh man, it's this is our like second recording of the night, man. You're throwing me a real complicated question. You no, know? just what stere- just what just what random bit character would you want to be? I am for sure the detective that is like too burned out and probably drunk to to be of any real use to the uh main character but he's got some essential piece of information and then ends up wasted before he can uh convey it and the detective has to go like dig through my disorganized (laughs) shitty files to try and find it see meanwhile i would go with you know the the friend who's never quite sure what's actually going on, but always manages to say like the insightful key piece of Ooh. like thing that the that the lead needs. To yeah, solve that's the a good thing. one. That's a good one. That's a very good one. I like that. Tonight we are covering uh, two episodes, episodes five and six of season one, Judgment and the Fix. Jude, you have Judgment. Take us away. All right. Episode five is written by David Slack, directed by Colin Buxey. A couple of good names there. Uh, This week's number is a judge named Samuel Gates. He's got a rep for being tough on crime, which John and Finch presume is why he's being targeted. His son is kidnapped, killing his nanny in the process, and he's ordered to throw the case he's overseen, in which a drunk banker, Angela Markham, killed a guy in a parking garage after a company mixer. As John and Finch investigate, it turns out that Gates is being targeted not for anything he's done, but for a quirk of fate. The woman is helping an Eastern European gang named SP9 run an incredibly convoluted money laundering scam through her bank, and they've kidnapped Gates' son on her orders. Reese uncovers the money laundering scheme too late to prevent the judge from having to throw the case, so he just kidnaps Angela and offers to trade her for the kid. Unsurprisingly, the gang plans to double-cross the judge and Reese, but Finch provides the ace in the hole. He's hacked the bank thanks to some timely detective work from Fusco. It provides the necessary distraction to Reese for, for Reese to shoot everyone in the knee. Uh, the ones who get away are eventually swept up in the police raid after Finch 
slips a prosecutor evidence on Angela. Three kneecappings in this episode, in case anyone was wondering. This this would not be uh, in my top five of all episodes of Person <laughs> of Interest or uh, top five of all episodes of season one even. So I think the thing that fails this episode is that the judge, okay, is two things. The judge is like playing this way too straight, I think. Mm-hmm. And John is like the least reassuring person on the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't worry. Your, your son's in dire danger. It'll be fine. Yeah. Well, and John's also like, comes out of nowhere and it's just like, don't worry, I got this. And he's like, they said, don't call the police or the FBI. They didn't say anything about me. And the judge is like, who are you? And John's like, don't worry about it. And John's like, best for me to know and you to never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's really like there are some like professions of numbers that just like <laughs> have to, like if they are if they are like a normal person on a job, they have to do a little bit of premise rejection. And like yeah. in a in the good episodes where those feature there will be like, you know, there's some negotiation or there's even a little bit of cover that's being done. Mm. There's nothing being done here. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. He just shows up out of nowhere and is just like, like at least at least with the defense attorney person. At least, at least he's like pretending to be a client. Yeah, mm-hmm. they get better at it. This one is, and it's what makes it even more egregious is that this guy's like a judge. Like, yeah, yes. the only way they could have done, the only person that it would have been dumber to do this with would have been like Carter. But they just show yeah. up, like, <laughs> yeah, he just like busts in and is like, "Hey, saw you got a hostage call there. You want some help with that?" Don't worry about who I am or where I'm from. I'm definitely not one of the kidnappers, so just go with it. And, and the judge is just like, yeah. cool, I guess. I don't know. The whole the whole premise is bad. I do, though, appreciate that the, like, the, the fake out where you think that, like, they're there because the judge is, like, the judge is prosecuting someone and it turns out that the... Uh, it's it's actually l- the the drunk banker who plowed someone after a a company mm-hmm. mixer, and she's working for this fictional Eastern European gang, and okay, she's like yeah. manipulating. I, I want to talk about this gang because- manipulating this gang into doing this kidnapping for her. Like that whole plot line is so bananas. I love that that's where it ends up being. It's just one crazy person manipulating this incredibly powerful gang. Yeah, I mean, because uh, to to go a little bit into the scheme, basically, the 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 Angela Markham works for a fintech company, and she basically turns off their fraud software for like five minutes a day, and they just shove millions of dollars into banks. Yeah, in a money laundering scheme, which honestly, that sounds more sophisticated than most money laundering schemes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, we'll. we'll there's a few episodes coming up where I want to talk about money laundering. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, it, it, it's like, you know, this is like more sophisticated than it is. And it's like, you know, they're just like, oh, hey, high volume stuff for a number of criminal organizations. MS-13, the Sinaloa cartel, and Kim Jong, uh, Kim Jong-un, which is such a <laughs> such a wild it's, list of clients. 
that they are doing I this mean, money laundering sure, why for. Not? It's not just themselves. Yeah. It's for this wild list of clients. So the, the, the gang in this is a, a fictional gang called SP9, which are uh, Polish, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what like they're specifically they're based off like they're they're a Polish gang with ties to the Russian mafia. That's right. Um, yeah, and yeah, they're they're like they're there's some inspirations that are taken from like a real Warsaw gang, but really don't worry about it. They are generic Eastern European bad guys. I do love, however, some of the interactions that they have there, like the John going to steal money. And like clearing everything out is a very uh fun scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then there's the trunk. <laughs> oh so, god. So so first of all, we wanna I, I, I wanna put a disclaimer on this. Um torture does not work. Like, you know, every every independent study has found that torture just does not work. Using violence to extract information only really gets you the answer that is most likely to stop the pain quickest. However, what John does in this episode, I mean, he does he he does what you should do, which is prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. He, well, let's clarify. He throws <laughs> one of these goons in a trunk and is like, "All right, this is where you live now, and that here here is where you are, and here you shall stay until I." Until you tell me something I want to know. And the guy's like, if I tell you, bad things will happen to me. And he's like, okay, you live in the trunk now. Funk. And then he gets another another goon. And he's like, hey, you have a neighbor. Thump. And he throws another one in there. And he's like, okay, now, I'm, now I have a time crunch. Now you can't live in there forever. So here's a burger and a knife. Oh, no, I guess the burger goes in first. The burger comes first because he, he ta- so he like for the first stage of this is he drives him around like a junkyard and just like rattled around and opens the trunk and says, the longest it's ever taken me to break someone is 16 hours. You don't look like you're going to set a record, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I, it's, I'm just like, John, this man had a mother once. <laughs> um, then tosses the burger, to- like tosses on a burger he got. Yeah, it's like, it's like after he gets some actual information out of the yeah, guy. But doesn't but he doesn't him. uncuff him. Yeah, and doesn't which, unwrap the burger, which is such a dick move. Which is hilarious <laughs> because you really shouldn't un, you really shouldn't um uh, you know uncuff somebody in your trunk because you can get out I I would trust any mobster like you know most mobsters would be able to know that like you know yeah. you can get out of a trunk pretty easily. There's ways to yeah. like they're they're basically there to prevent people from being kidnapped and how they're built. Think about <laughs> this though. Think about how he ate that burger. He had to have like unwrapped it with his teeth and gone face down into that well, burger. Well, he eat it until he eventually gets let out of it. <laughs> is that is that the same burger or is it a new burger? I, I choose to believe it's the same. I burger. don't. I choose to believe it's a different that. burger. I picture him like. Face down with the burger, like, like mashed into the spare, like, like hoovering up this this oil smeared burger. The whole trunk now smells like bio and mustard. It's truly ridiculous, but it's just like it's sort of funny just with how this thing goes until he's just like, fine, you know what? I'm run I'm gonna tie crutch here, prisoners dilemma, bitches. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. he throws the second goon in there with a knife and he's like, Okay, whoever's whoever is alive at the you know, gets gets to tell me 
what's going whoever, on here. Like, it's like, whoever talks first gets to leave the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> this is our first mob episode, right? Sort of, yeah. I, I think so, yeah. It's the first, like, mob-centric one. I, I also have to say that, like, the fake, like, the, the costume department really, like, fucked up on those fake tattoos. They're yeah. so bad. Like, it, it really just looks like freaking Sharpie. Yeah, it's, they're not great. Uh, the bills that they have, like, for the, the like, in, in, the, in the counting house scene, the dollar bills yes. are so fucking fake. They're so fake. <laughs> like, like, I, they're, okay, so they're, this is the thing of, like, normal, like, especially when you're seeing large stacks of bills, they are purposely made to look fake. But these are, like, like, the coloring on them is wrong. Yeah, they look like Monopoly money. I thought the reveal was going to be that they had a counterfeiting operation. <laughs> so, fun fact, uh, I looked I looked up the guest stars in this episode, and the guy who plays the head of SP9, who I was expecting to be, like, the, like, not the most interesting actor, because his accent's not impressive, uh, a guy named Michael Cerveris <laughs> is the most accomplished of the guest stars by a country mile. Would you care to guess this guy's resume? He well, is. I'm pulling up a picture a of him now. Multi Tony Award winning stage actor. Wild. I guess he didn't have to do accents in any of those roles. Apparently not. I didn't bother to list them all out. But yeah, this guy is like, he's done a shit ton of stage productions uh, and won like three Tonys or something like that. Wild. Um, oh, yeah. He was an assassin's. Yeah. Which is is on my is on my bucket list of things that I do want to see. Oh, he was. Um, if you've ever seen Fringe, he is the Observer. Oh, interesting. Uh, meanwhile, Judge Gates is played by David Co- Costabile. I think I got that right. Who's been a, in a bunch of stuff, but is probably best known for his roles on Breaking Bad and The Wire. He's one of those actors that the minute you see him on screen, you're like. Oh, that guy. And then you immediately forget, like, you can't remember where you've seen him before. But he's, he's, he's like, I'm sure he's played a judge multiple times. Yeah. His son, Seamus David, Davy Fitzpatrick, who could not sound anymore. That's a name is I think what I'm getting at. Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick. Uh, That's a name that brings up the, the Lorolding Hills violin. Yeah. (laughs) I apologize to the nation of Ireland. Yeah. Or sorry, both nations of Ireland. There you go. Uh, he got his start. <laughs> there, that's the way to get heat. He got his start in the 2006 remake of The Omen playing Damien and has done nothing noteworthy since. Oh, interesting. Except for person of interest. So um, something I want to note for lore purposes, um, this is the first episode where John gets a yellow box. Interesting. Interesting. That's very interesting. Huh. Which might just um, be, which might just be like a production thing, but also, but it's like, oh, interesting for dope, dope yeah. right? Yeah, because because I'm you know in rewatching, I really like watching the boxes very clo- closely. <laughs> yeah. Reese Reese also makes a really interesting linguistic slip when he's talking. I believe it's to the judge about his source. He says it's never wrong. Interesting. Rather than like they or he or yeah you know or we implying it's a person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have two things about this episode. the f- The first, I love that Fusco is good at his job in this episode. Yes. 
Yes. I love, because you've seen Fusco, like, as the corrupt cop, and you've seen that he's, like, a good dad, and you've gotten some hints that, like, he's not, like, a piece of shit. He might actually be okay as a cop and, like, okay as a person. But this is the first episode where you really see that, like, he's good at his job, and he's, like, he cares about his job. And you get some hints that, like, maybe there's a reason, maybe there was more to him ending up as a corrupt cop than what you, you know, than him just being a piece of shit. And it's it's really, like, yeah. I like that everybody is surprised. Like, Carter and John, they're all just like, and even Finch are just like, oh, fuck me. That's really useful. It's partly yeah. just because he exudes, it's just like, he really exudes, like, incompetent cop energy. Yeah, he so does. like whenever he like actually makes a revelation of like, oh hey, I, I you know I know what I'm doing. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. At the same time, we have Fusco and John talking about like working together, like openly at a coffee stand with people like one foot yeah, away in line. Yeah. And I'm just like, why? Yeah, and then John I vanishes, know. and like Fusco turns around and looks at the lady behind him in line, and she's like clearly been listening and looks at him like, "What the shit?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can wave that away by by thinking just like, "Yeah, I mean, he's he's coming out the street from a police station. He's probably a CI." Sure. Still though, yeah. I I also love Fusco's little reading glasses, yes. and I <laughs> I really enjoy just how suspicious. Carter is of Fosco, um, where she's like, yeah, sure you're talking to your ex-wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I also love that Finch apparently is a fan of Eggs Benedict. Uh, I, yes. yeah. I love Eggs Benedict, um, even though it, it, it recently betrayed me to my great misery. Oh, like Benedict Arnold? <laughs> I hate you. Um, I I I really do love Eggs Benedict. I should have just made an Eggs Benedict Arnold joke, and that and that should have been it. And I realized that I missed my point. I apologize. Uh, but most the thing I the one thing I think I wanted to point out though was uh, I like also that that John gets shot. Like it's nice. To, I do like that this show doesn't make him. Uh, perfect in his execution when it comes to like yeah. dealing with bad guys. Like he gets overwhelmed and he can't solve. He can't always take on any number of opponents and win any situation. But I also do think it's it's a remarkable amount of hokum that he takes a bullet in the shoulder and then he's like, "Nah, it's cool," and then just like buttons up his shirt and it's never mentioned again in that episode that he got like. Well, I thought he was wearing a vest. I went back and looked at it and it didn't look like he was wearing a vest because he's got like a bandage on his shoulder and he's like, it's not that bad. Like, I think the implication is that it was like a flesh wound or something. I don't know. Squids. Through and through. Like, I don't know. They do that a few times in this show where like getting shot either is like the absolutely awful or like, you know? I mean, it's like any other crime related show. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I, I got uh I got shot in my torso, but it's it's on the right side, not the left side, so I'm fine. Yeah. It's like no No, that's not No, you're not. Getting shot sucks, even in the knee. 
Oh, you know what we need? Uh, Justin, please make a note of this. We need to find someone who is a specialist in knees who can come on and tell us how bad it would be to be shot in the knee. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I insist we we need to have someone to come on and tell us how absolutely devastating it would be to get shot in the knee. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I have two things from Harold, like Harold's diner adventures. Uh, First of all, John, please let Harold have, like, a goddamn moment apiece. Um, (laughs) He he is clearly setting a boundary that he's like, I do not want to have breakfast with you. I want to have some quiet time and read my book. Just saying, just saying. Um, but I mean, he opens up to it eventually. The other thing is that um, this uh, this is a notable episode because it has a non-bird alias for Harold. Yes. Um, specifically, it is related to the book that he is reading at the start of the episode, which is uh, Sinclair loses. It can't happen here. Um, which is a novel about the rise of American fascism. Um, Harold's alias is. Yeah, uh, Harold's alias on the uh, on his ID card when he's uh, sneaking into the bank is Walt Tubridge, which is uh, one of the characters from that book. Interesting. Yeah. Every scene I've seen where Finch, like, does an infiltration or something like that, I absolutely love every single one of them with my whole heart. Oh, yeah. that's great. And it's, it's funny because, like, he seems apprehensive about going into the field and doing that stuff but he's very good at it yeah he has very unassuming energy so yeah and and this one's particularly good where like he he gets his way into that like server room or whatever and it's like oh my god you've been hacked and it totally wasn't me (laughs) yeah i'm the i'm the person here fixing it he does such a good job with it he also he also has his little round glasses on in this one which i appreciate because they're very cute yeah the last thing the last thing that I want to like say about this episode is that the the judge plotline like is mediocre at best. Yeah. However, at least the judge wasn't fucking the nanny. Yep. I yeah. Yeah. Even on a rewatch, I I I couldn't remember if they went that way with it and I I was relieved that it did not. Yeah, as soon, as soon as, like, the concept of the nanny character was introduced, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't like this. Yep. I'm like, she's either in on it, she's fucking him, or she's dead. <laughs> I, yeah. Part of this is just, like, I know how a person of interest works. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, do we want to move on to Best Girl? Yeah, let's, let's get to the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's do this. All right, so this is Season 1, Episode 6, The Fix. <sighs> Written by... Nick Van Zeebrook and Michael Shabinsky, directed by Dennis Smith. I apologize to both of the writers of this episode. I probably butchered your names. Not the director? You're not going to apologize to the director? I mean, Dennis <laughs> Smith, there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> Our number of the week is Zoe Morgan, a political mercenary who acts as a fixer to New York's elite. Zoe's being targeted for a recording she recovered of a woman with a pharmaceutical executive. At first, it sounds like an affair, but they are eventually able to link it to a previous uh, 
number, Dana Miller, who Harold tried to help before John was employed, but she unfortunately died. They eventually find out that Dana was not having an affair with the executive, but in fact was a researcher who learned that a new pain medication had side effects that led to death in a staggering number of patients. When trying to infiltrate Vertan and Pharmaceuticals, John and Zoe get caught, and Zoe appears to betray John and sell out the incriminating info to save her skin. John escapes with Zoe's help, though, and Zoe comes out of it uh, safe. Harold, meanwhile, gets a little bit of payback for Dana Miller by posing as a wealthy investor and shorts Vertan in stock. Meanwhile, on the Carter front, she interviews the detective who handled the original Marlene Elias case several decades ago. She finds that Marlene had the son who is thought to be the illegitimate heir of a mafia don. The son disappeared into foster care after Marlene's murder. Later, when Carter goes to follow up with the detective, she finds that he has been murdered by the grown-up Elias who flees the scene. I... Boy, the show loves a girl boss. I, I yeah. you know, Zoe Morgan is the, like, I. sometimes there are numbers that are just like, they're there to fill a plot. And meanwhile, Paige Cherko just fucking just says like, hey, I'm going to be playing an absolute dame and i'm going to knock it out of the park for 45 minutes yeah she's so good I lo- she's I lo- like phenomenal she- i love <laughs> every episode zoe morgan is in it's not a spoiler that zoe morgan comes back yeah i love zoe morgan so much she's the first character that we have met that could not be less impressed with john while still <laughs> so good. while still like appreciating <laughs> John's skills cuz we will meet other characters who think John is like useless and I respect that but she's the first one that we meet that is like I get it I see what you're about I'm good at what I do too you know you're not the only way to solve a problem that's awesome I I'm super into like yeah. her just infinite fucking confidence and and it's like from the very start it's like that power move with like tearing the money in half. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, half now, half later. It's like, what a complete jackass power move. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I I love that she like, okay, this is the thing. Like, I love that Zoe gets to be a bit of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, like and it, and she is never in the wrong for doing so. Yeah. She just gets yeah. to she gets to be her on her own terms. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a lot of little bits for her that make her feel very real. Like, you know, at the end of at the end of the first night when John is driving her around and she's walking back to her apartment, she's she's taken her shoes off in the car and walks back in barefoot and it's like, wow, that's a that's a like real thing that real humans do after, you know, yeah. spending a whole day in extraordinarily high stiletto heels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Zoe sets all the rules in those scenes and comes across as in charge, but not like in a shitty way. Do you know what I mean? Like this, mm-hmm. her character yeah, very much could have come across like really badly or could have, if she was not written as well or not performed as well, could have definitely read a very different way. But they stick the landing with the character so that it doesn't come across as shrewish or bitchy or. I mean, I think she is a bit of a bitch, but, it, but, but it's a good, good way. But it's a good. Yeah. Like yeah. they yeah. could have fucked that up 
and made a really bad trope out of it. She's not being like particularly intentionally cruel to anybody. She's just like not going to take anybody's shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like she has a great li- she has a couple great lines of this. One of them being I don't have to like you to get some use out of you. Yeah. The other one being like Oh, well, I would have asked for 80. But then again, that might be a skirt thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, um, she says, if I can't trust you, then I'll have to destroy you. Which, oh. Yeah. I, the one thing I find, like, the one mistake she she seems to make is she seems legitimately surprised when the Vertanen guys start to, to like, grab her. And I... I feel like it can't be the first time somebody has tried to, like, use violence on her. But maybe it is. I don't know. I, but it, it, it feels legitimately like this is... It, it can't have been the first time that somebody's tried to, like, take a shot at her or send someone to take care of her. But uh, she acts very surprised by it. And, and it might be a thing of, like, she is very used to having control and power over situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe this one went sideways yeah. in a way she didn't expect. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think I think she's used to it because it sounds like very, I think she's very much more, I, I, I think this one maybe didn't seem as dire at first. Yeah. I think, I think she's used to, she's used to being a character in white collar <laughs> and now suddenly she's a character in person of interest. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's valid. And, and the... You know, the scenario, the the situation where, you know, the goons make a move against her is it seems like it should be something that is very routine for her. And like that, it seems like she does that kind of transaction all the time mm-hmm. and having it suddenly go sour, you know, seems surprising. Yeah, I agree with you completely that like Finch's vindictive shorting is just... Chef it's guess. so oh, good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, also, this is the first time we get to see that we see Harold using a cane in the show. I, yeah. I think it's a, I, I think it's a thing that he brings back on a couple uh, aliases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he uses. Uh, we get a bird. This is one of his bird aliases. He's, he's a bird here. He's Mister Par- Mister Partridge. This is the first actual bird. Not I'm just putting bird in my name. Alias. Yeah. Yeah, Mister Partridge, which I love. Yeah. Yes. Like I said, I love I love every situation where Harold is doing something out in the field and this is absolutely no exception. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, Zoe and Reese flirting. You mean the entire episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Including but not limited to you want to get out of here? Where are we going? <laughs> to do something illegal. God. It's yeah, they're, they're just character like Zoe Morgan is a character who in who realizes she is in a genre program and knows exactly what genre she is in. Yeah. And has decided I'm just going to live my best life in it. Yep. Yeah. Do you know? Okay. So this is a thing of like what she reminds me of, of like a specific writer is she reminds me of the way that Chris Claremont writes women. (laughs) That's so true. That's like, like listeners for, for, if you're not an X-Men fan, Chris McClaremont wrote the X-Men for 17 years, and Chris Claremont just has no interest in writing men whatsoever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he loves writing a tough a tough broad. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, That's so true. That's hilarious. God, and it's just like Zoe immediately slides in there with like Madeline Pryor. That's exactly who I was thinking of. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, it's just you know, oh my gosh, she's so good, and I and I love that she get that she comes back. the 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 amount of time she comes back is not as many as I think it is, but she makes great use. Her next appearance? She's in one of my favorite uh, random numbers of the week episode, which is the suburbs one. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was say not not her next appearance, but I think the one after that is the suburbs one, which is easily in my top three <laughs> non-arc episodes, hands God, down. It's, <laughs> it's, it's also interesting to me to watch the, to watch Reese and Finch accumulate assets, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, they now have a fixer and they kind of maybe have a judge. And it'll be interesting to see, like, who else they collect yeah. as potential. Like, I'm not sure if that judge ever comes back. Um, but, you know, having a judge who owes you a favor seems useful. Yeah. I don't think he ever comes back, but that's not really a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There, there are a couple. There are a couple numbers who there. I think there is one three-peat number. <laughs> um, God, who is a character that I, I think I, I initially did not like, but warmed up to. Oh no, I, I love that number from the first moment. Let's talk about these guest stars because we have some great oh, yeah. ones. Uh, Paige Turco, who plays Zoe Morgan, uh, in our Discord, Justin dropped this on me. I, I kind of wish you had saved it <laughs> for the recording so oh. that I could have had that reaction live on the air. Paige Turco played April O'Neil in the second and third Ninja Turtle movies. And when I realized that, when Justin told me, and I like, <laughs> in my head, Zoe Morgan and April O'Neil swinging Michelangelo's <laughs> nunchucks so good. For, the, for the pizza delivery boy, when those two images superimposed... I galaxy-brained. My head just exploded. <laughs> I had never connected those two. I mean, she did other stuff. She was in the 100 for like six seasons and other shit, but who cares? She was April O'Neil for two <laughs> movies. In like the good two, uh, I don't know. Your your preferences amongst the three Ninja Turtle movies may differ from mine. The first one's pretty dark. I happen to prefer the second two. I think the third one is fucking bananas with the time travel and the samurai. I think that's fun and dumb. Maybe you like the more violent original one. That's fine. Mark Lawson is played by Timothy S. Guinea, who was in the first season of the uh, most recent Punisher TV show and also played Toman in Stargate SG-1. I don't know who that is, but apparently people thought that was noteworthy. Oh, God, that guy. <laughs> okay, hold on. I, I got to look this up. The place I knew him best from was the guy who uh, rudely hits on the, the female doctor and then gets bit by the crispy vampire and thrown into a pit in Blade. <laughs> if you remember the Blade movie. This, this is so specific. I have not seen the Blade movie. Really? Oh, that's a good one. It's a good one. It, it is. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. There is a character that gets bitten by a vampire that has been torched uh, while he is being kind of a uh, sexual harasser and then gets thrown into a pit. I see. And you don't feel bad about I, it. I see. And he was played by Timothy S. Kinney. 
Uh, lastly, we have Brian Murray, who plays Robert Keller, notable chiefly, in my book, for having voiced Long John Silver in Treasure Planet, objectively the single best retelling of the Treasure Island story, despite the completely Excuse incongruous wor- use of the Goo Goo Dolls music. Uh, he also won the Tony for playing... I'm going to cancel this podcast right now. Excuse me? Because this is Muppet Treasure Island erasure. Yes. I was going to say. Muppet Treasure Island. How dare Muppet you? Muppet Treasure Island is fine, but Treasure Planet is better. Sorry. No. It's a better, it's Get a out. better, it's yeah, a better no. Treasure Island. It's not a better movie, but it's a better Treasure Island. Nope. Yep. I refuse. Muppet Treasure Island is just so far. It has Tim Curry and that alone. I, I'm not arguing that it's a better movie. But Treasure Planet. And it implies that Tim Curry has fucked Miss Piggy. Oof. We've gone to places this episode, listeners. I'm not arguing. Explicitly. That it's a better movie. Just that Treasure Planet is a better Treasure Island. Dude. Do do we want to talk about the, like... The the human subjects research yeah, thing. Yeah, I was gonna, because I like, was talk oh my about god, that. Like, is it even? Po- I I don't I don't know how drugs get get through the FDA. I don't know that process, but it feels like if that was a thing that drug companies could do, they would do it. And it feels like if they did do it, you would have people dying in enormous numbers from drugs all the time. And maybe that's a thing that actually happens. So. But it feels like it would be a lot harder to falsify trial data. Yeah. So this is this is a thing where this is both wildly implausible and more plausible than any of us are probably comfortable with. Oh, good. Oh, lovely. Because this is something where having something on this scale, like the number of deaths that they have on this trial is just bonkers because you have to you have to then believe that like at every single clinical trial site probably there was a death and then you they had to pay off everybody you know from you know janitor on up basically at each of those institutions to keep quiet which is just bananas at the same time human um subjects research training is absolutely a thing because they're you know, in addition to the like you know, headliner horrible ethical breaches of the past, you know, Tuskegee being one of them, but many others, up until fairly recently, deaths were definitely underreported. And, you know, it would be like, yeah, we'll report them in, you know, a year. We've just had the cadaver in the fridge for that long <laughs> type of, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit here, but, you know, the... There have there have definitely been death under reporting scandals that have come to light and that have been you know led to led to much stricter human subjects research training and monitoring. That's not terrifying at all. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that I'll say that as somebody who is only loosely involved in human subjects research, I have to do a like training that takes a solid day every three years oh, gosh as you know and that that's like the bare minimum 
do we, do we want to talk about that the fucking needle thing? Oh, I know you have um, strong feelings sure. about somebody t- <laughs> tapping bubbles out of a syringe they're about to use to kill someone with. Yeah, like, yeah. why does he care if he gives John an air embolism? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, maybe he just wants to, maybe it's like, I don't want to, if I kill you, I don't want it to be because I made a mistake. I can appreciate that sort of like, that feeling like, if I kill you, I don't want it to be because you were running away from me and tripped and broke your neck. Also, that's a that's a fucking gigantic needle. Like, I know it's for the screen, but like, that's like two inch intramuscular needle that he's going to use for like, I, I guess like, I feel like you know, it would make a mark. Uh, like, yeah, I feel like it would leave yeah, a mark. Yeah, especially on the neck, man. Yeah. Like you, you want to use like one of the little, like little tiny gauge ones. Yeah, one of those, one of those ones like they use for the COVID vaccine. Those like Cadillac of of needles that are like little tiny baby sliver needles that just. Beep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like it's just like so long, and like you can tell that the gauge on that is like ginormous. Um, also, I will note that even as ginormous as that needle is, it is still not big enough to put a microchip through. Good to know. That's okay. Excellent. Um, That's a weird, <laughs> a weird thing to, to say, but. To know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good to know. Does that also go for a submarine that has been shrunk down to, to miniature size that will then implant in my brain and remote control me? probably depends on how miniature we're talking here okay good to know okay cool but but generally generally you know whatever it is you're putting in there has to go through the hole of the needle i will keep that in mind um i just want to point out this is appearance two of detective turney that guy who who is um a character who just keeps showing up and i love the fact that it's just like is a bit actor and i'm like I can't wait for you to become an actual character so I can hate you and not just like say like <laughs> oh, this guy's face. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I don't think I, I don't have anything else. This this is just these are two like it's one episode that I'm like uh, it's very average and then one episode that is like I absolutely adore this. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's such a good episode. Yeah. And also we get like a little bit of number lore of like that like. You know, Dana Miller is one of the people that Harold tried to help before he had John. Yeah, which is so sad that... Which, that's definitely laying some narrative track there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, this has been quite a pair do, do of episodes. Do we have a kneecap count for this episode? No kneecaps this episode. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he tasers a guy in the neck, and he punches a bunch of people. I maybe Maybe he... Maybe when he, we don't actually see him inject that guy with the with his own syringe. That's true. Maybe he injects his knee. You know, I, I cannot think of a worse place to inject somebody with something. <laughs> uh, I can, but I'm going to respect Anna's uh, lines and veils and not describe where you could do it. I don't have problems with needles. In the eye? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, no. No. Um, <laughs> see? All right. So... Um, Next time, we are going to be uh, we're going to be covering episodes seven and eight of uh, season one. Witness, and uh, foe. Nice. Until next time. 
you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.